let's just get into it because I have 22 minutes. How many believe we're going to finish on time today? Yeah. Yep. There's hamburgers. There's hamburgers? <laughs> Who's ready for a hamburger? Just trying to fix this whole thing. Cool. I'm ready for a hamburger. Hamburgers are good. And you know what? There's no chicken. Sorry. The chicken got denied. It's all about the beef. And all the men said? Amen. Amen. <laughs> all right. We're ready to get into the Gospel of John. Chapter 20 of John is all about Jesus, the risen Lord. So let's just have a look at this. We cannot let him go on like this. He'll destroy everything we've worked for. Whether this man is a sinner or not, I don't know. All I know is that I was blind, but now I can see. Why didn't you obey your orders and arrest him? Because no one ever spoke the way this man does. What charges are you bringing against this man? He's a blasphemer and a criminal. Crucify him. Why? What evil has this man committed? Crucify him. Give them what they want. The crown of thorns for the king of the Jews. <laughs> Stretch him out. How can he save others when he can't even save himself? Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Please, God, don't take my son. Please. He's dead. Get him down. Let me take the body. Please, he, he needs a proper burial. It wasn't the savior we thought he was. What now? It's over. serve a risen saviour, amen? And so there was voices, wasn't there, as, as he went to the cross, voices of doubt, disillusion, they didn't know what was going to happen, and then on the third day, he rose again. So John chapter 20 is all about Jesus, the risen Lord. We finished John chapter 19, and Jesus has been crucified and, and laid in the tomb. So, you know anyone can claim to be God? There's a few out there at the moment, isn't there? The word talks about it in the end times, that there'll be many who say that I am the second coming. Uh, there's lots of people in mental hospitals that probably think they're God, and I'm not picking on them or teasing them, but they're just confused, and, and that's where their mind is at. Uh, proving that you're God is another story, and that's, that's exactly what Jesus did when he rose from the grave. That was all the proof that we should ever need, that Jesus is the risen Saviour. Uh, he died and he rose again. And the resurrection is the final proof that he is the son of God. It's the final proof that we need. Jesus' bodily resurrection is a historical fact and not just in the Bible. There are many accounts that talk about the resurrection of Christ. So it's not a myth. It's not a fairy tale. There's more evidence for the resurrection than for any other event in that same time period. And one of my, um, there, there are many Bible professors that say, if you can't believe the resurrection based on historical records, you can't believe any other historical facts. Because if you can't believe that, well, how's all the other stuff true? It's funny that this is one of the facts that gets ridiculed and, 
and laughed at and pulled apart and teased. You know, as John recorded some of Jesus' post-resurrection appearances, we learn that the resurrection gave Mary Magdalene joy. It gave the disciples courage. It gave Thomas assurance of his faith. Doubtful Thomas. John wrapped up this chapter that we're reading now, John chapter 20, with this statement. And we'll finish with this uh, next time because we'll take a couple of Sundays to look at John chapter 20. But I love this. It says that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your life. We receive it today. God, breathe on us. Fill us with hope and assurance because we know that you are for us and not against us. You are with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. John chapter 20, verses 1 to 2 says this. Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So this is a case of a missing body. You know, after Joseph and Nicodemus buried Jesus, the religious leaders went back to Pilate. They asked him to seal and guard uh, Jesus' tomb so no one could steal the body. They had acted stupidly in crucifying Jesus. It was, it was a silly thing to do, even though it was foretold and meant to happen. But they'd acted silly, but they weren't stupid. They knew that they should protect the body because there'll be doubters, there'll be naysayers. So they knew Jesus had claimed that he would rise on the third day. And they wanted to be sure that no one stole that body, that no one came and did anything. They wanted to be, when, when they claimed that Jesus was alive, they wanted that to be authentic and have no doubt. So they also wanted to be sure that Jesus didn't get out of the tomb. Oh, because he's going to miraculously get up after being pronounced dead. But because Jesus was buried quite quickly, uh, Mary Magdalene shows up at the tomb uh, early on Sunday morning. She's arrived uh, shortly before uh, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome to anoint Jesus' body because it was all done in such haste they didn't get to do that. But God was actually way ahead of them, and this is where it's really cool. The tomb was already open when they arrived because they were wondering, can you imagine going, we're going to go and anoint the body of Jesus, but there's this big stone in the way. Not quite sure how we're moving that, but let's just go. And then they get there and the stone is rolled away. Can you imagine the excitement? Maybe the trepidation, like, what's happened here? Yeah, Mary Magdalene peers into the tomb just to have a little sneak peek as to what's going on. She expects to see a dead body, of course. But instead, her eyes uh, took in a lot of emptiness because there was no body in the tomb. So Mary's shocked and she runs to Peter and John to tell them, someone's taken Jesus' body. You know, the women didn't even know where to start looking. Like, where, where, where would you look? <laughs> no idea. And so to explain away Jesus' missing body, there's a lot of um, theories that have been developed. And I just want to look at them uh, briefly with you this morning. Theories that people have decided this is what really happened. Um, the first theory is called fraud theory. 
So that theory is that someone stole the body. So someone's come along, moved that incredibly huge heavy rock and gotten away with the body without the soldiers seeing. The Roman guards were posted there so no one could steal it. Now there's stories of, oh, they were asleep or they were drunk or they were whatever. You know, the disciples, I don't know whether they actually believed that Jesus was going to rise. I know Jesus taught them that. But I'm just not sure whether their minds had gone to that place of confidence that this is going to happen. If, if Jesus' enemies had taken the body, if someone came and stole the body, wouldn't you think that they would produce the body to show that Jesus didn't rise? Wouldn't you think that they'd want to discredit and disclaim that Jesus is a resurrected saviour? So why the secrecy if the body was stolen? Why not, here's the body of Christ, your so-called risen saviour? Nobody did that. It's because that didn't happen. And, and, and when you think about it, all the disciples died for their faith, right? So Because a lot of people say, oh, well, the disciples took the body of Jesus to prove what Jesus was teaching. But they all died for their faith. Do you really think they would die for fraud? It's very quiet in here this morning. <laughs> Do you think they would? No. I, I wouldn't want to die for a fraud, for something that's not true. So that's fraud theory, and I think we've debunked that. I don't think there's any possible way that anyone could have snuck along, moved a rock that size so quietly, and got away with the body, and then not paraded it around or made a big deal about, hey, we got the body of Christ. So that, that's kind of, put a, put a line through that theory. Here's the next theory. It's called swoon theory. Jesus didn't really die. He passed out. So we, just, we talked about over the last couple of weeks the, uh, the burden that Christ bared physically and the beatings that he took and the, the, the whippings and the lashings. And, and then we explained how crucifixion works and how people die when they're crucified because of you know fluid in the heart area and pushing up, pushing down, and eventually you just give way. We also read how Christ was pierced by a spear because they came along to break the legs, break the legs, remember? Because they needed to speed it up because Passover's coming. So they break the legs of the person on the left and the right. But when they came to Christ, he had gone already. And to confirm that, they speared him. And what came out? Blood and water separated, which means dead. Uh, so swoon theory is kind of debunked there, isn't it? Like Jesus' wounds, his hands and his feet were pierced with nails, his side pierced with a sword. And those wounds were so bad, there's no way that Jesus is just getting up and walking away, let alone moving the rock to get out. <laughs> Superhuman strength all of a sudden. And, I mean, he's God, but he was dead. Soldiers didn't break his legs because he was dead. So, so swoon theory is kind of debunked. I don't know how people lean on that theory, but here's the last um, one to talk about today, and that is ghost theory. Ooh, we said ghost in church. Uh, ghost theory is that the disciples only thought they saw Jesus alive. It's like a hallucination. There's no way that they could, they could have seen him. Well, here's the thing. I still firmly believe the disciples didn't necessarily expect to see Jesus. Again, I know he taught it. I know he, he, he said, I'm going to rise again. I'm going to come back. But really, in our flesh, it's so hard to believe that. So, so the disciples didn't expect to see Jesus alive. And but Jesus had a very real body after resurrection. And, and here's how we know they saw Jesus. Because there are accounts of more than 500 people seeing Jesus after he wrote. Not just the disciples. 
You can't tell me 500 people are all hallucinating. Because if they are, I want what they're having. That's some serious, I don't know, smoking mushrooms or something. I don't know what they're doing. But over 500 people are recorded to have seen Christ after his death. So you can't tell me that they're all making up stories. If it was just the disciples, okay, I can see why there's a bit of... But over 500 people. Here's the thing. Mary and the other women didn't have a lot to offer Jesus when they came to the tomb that day. They were going to anoint him with some simple oils. But they stayed by him right from crucifixion. They were the ones that stayed. They didn't scatter like most of the disciples did. John was there, but all these women stayed. And they brought these ointments to anoint Jesus' body for burial after the Sabbath was over. So they kept the Sabbath. They didn't come on the Saturday, and that's why. They came on the Sunday. And I think that's why Jesus first appears to Mary after he rose from the dead, maybe. I can't prove that, but that's just my thought. What do we get from this for us? Let's apply this. You may not have much. We're not all rich with squillions of dollars. We don't all have... You know, that, that ability to, to be a blessing financially, although we have a very generous church and, and you do what you do. But you might not have much to give to Jesus, just like Mary didn't have much, just her loyalty, a little bit of anointing oil. You may not have the opportunity or ability to do great, amazing things for him. We'd all love to be grandhard bonky or, you know, see thousands of souls, souls and more souls. Uh, we'd love to, to, to have that opportunity, but we don't all get that opportunity. But what you can give him is your love, your devotion, just like these women. You can offer that to Jesus and you'll be blessed if you just give your love and devotion to him. Not to anyone else, not to anything on this world, not even to your spouse. I mean, it's good to love your spouse. Please give your love and devotion to your spouse. But first and foremost, can we honour and love Christ for what he's done for us? I think that is so important that we put him first in every part of our life. Because if that's all we can do, how good is that? To rest in his arms, to trust him. Let's put Jesus first in every part of our lives. Let's keep going. I don't think I'm going to get through everything today that I'd planned, but that doesn't matter. Uh, Verses 3 to 7, let's read them. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together. And the other disciple outran Peter. A bit slow. He came to the tomb and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there. Yet he did not go in. It's probably overwhelmed, I would think. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Wow. It's a race for the tomb. (laughs) When Peter and John hear about this news, about Jesus' missing body, they take off. And it's a a sprint. Uh, John won the race, but he didn't enter the cave. So does that mean Peter won? Because he went all the way in? I don't know. You call it however you like. But he glanced in and he saw the linen strips, but no body. And when Peter arrived, he walks past John, enters the tomb, and sure enough, Mary was right. The body is gone. It was missing. But evidence showed that it had been there. 
The grave clothes, the linen strips, lay in the shape of a, of a body as though someone had energized Jesus whoosh, to another location. And the napkin they had covered his head was folded all neatly and nice. See, this probably debunks another theory about the, the body being stolen. Because if robbers had have stolen the body, why would they leave behind the thing that's of value, the, the grave clothes and the, the handkerchief? That's worth money. So they would have taken that before the body. They would have let the body lie there to rot. They would have taken whatever possessions they could get their hands on. So it just goes to show that, that Christ did rise from the dead. There's no debunking, denying. There's no theory that can put a strike through what is truth. You see, without the resurrection, there would be no Christianity. If Christ is not risen, then our faith is futile and we're still in our sins. People in every other religion worship or look towards a God that is dead. So Muhammad is dead. Buddha is dead. Uh, Joseph Smith, who found Mormonism, he's dead. Uh, Mary uh, Baker Eddy is the founder of Christian Science and she's dead. Only Jesus is alive. We're the only religion, the only belief system, the only faith system that leans in and trusts on a risen saviour who is alive and very much active in our lives today. Jesus is just as active today as when he walked the planet. You've got to believe that in your heart. He wants to bring you through your storm. He wants to help you. He wants to come inside your heart if only you'll let him. You know, many of us, we've given maybe 80%, 90%, but there's that last little 10. I hold on to that because that's just my thing and, and, you know, it's all good. And often it's sin that we struggle with and, and we lean in on God and go, you know what, you're a God of grace, you forgive me, so it's all good. But then we keep going back and doing that thing and it, it just displeases him. And I'm not judging you because I'm not your judge. God's your judge. But I just want to challenge you. If you're struggling with a sin that's habitual, lean in on Christ and trust him for the breakthrough in that area because you don't need to do that thing anymore. You don't want to keep displeasing your heavenly father. Allow Christ to come in and bring true heart change. That's true repentance, allowing God to come in and change you from the inside out. But if we keep living our lives and just keep putting the, 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 the saying out there, well, God's grace and he forgives me, but I'll just keep going back to that thing. I mean, God loves you. I love you. But are, is our hearts to please our Lord and Saviour? Have we experienced true change in our hearts? That's the challenge today as we come to a close. Jeremy, if you want to come. I've got more, but I just feel to just put a little spot in there you know as, as dads let me talk to the dads to the men for a minute we face a lot of pressures so do the women but it's father's day <laughs> we talk to women on mother's day but the dads in many different ways carry very different burdens and weights and pressures and challenges and, and when you're under pressure and when you're facing challenge it's easy to slip and, and do something that's not right and I'm not going to call out different sins. You guys know the challenges that you face every day. I want to encourage you today, dads. 
Don't feel the pressure and burden of having to be the big macho, I'm the provider, the big manly man, and, and I've got to look like I've got it all together and I've got all the answers and I know everything. And There's pressure on dads to be that, but we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to have all the answers because we don't. There's only one and his name is Jesus. And we all need him to stand in the gap for us as men. Because the father heart of God is to be a rock, is to be someone that protects, guides, cares for, whether it's your children, whether it's your wife. It's your role to be their protector. And But you're only human. You're not perfect. And you're going to slip up because of the pressures and the weight from the world. It's very real. And we all face it every day. But I want to encourage you today. Let go and let God. Allow him to strengthen you. Allow him to help you in that area. Let him in. Whatever that area is that you're struggling with, let him in. Ask him to come in. Invite him to come in. In your prayer time, when you're talking with God, God, help me in this area. I'm struggling. In fact, I'm failing miserably, but I need you to come and help me be victorious in that part of my life. Let me just all bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. If you're in this place and that's you and you need God to just come and fill an area of your life that you're struggling with, I don't want you to be embarrassed. That's why I want every eye closed and every head bowed, just for privacy today. I want to pray for you, but I need you to respond. If you need Jesus to come and fill an area of your life, just lift up your hand right now. God's here. Yep, I see that hand. Yeah, many hands, many hands, many people being real today, which is so good. This is a safe place, this church. If you're at home online, respond. Respond to your Heavenly Father who wants to come and help you in that area of your life. You can put your hands down now. Let me pray for each and every one of you that raised your hands. And maybe you didn't raise your hand because, you know, it's just awkward. I understand. You can receive this prayer and respond in your heart today. Heavenly Father, I thank you for every person that just raised their hand. Lord, they are struggling. They are hurting. They, they know they're doing the wrong thing, but they just don't know how to get out of that spiral of whatever it is they're doing. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would come and breathe on each person. Encourage them today. Remove the condemnation, but Lord, also remove the habitual pattern. Help each one that raised their hands, Lord, to find a new way to be released from what it is they're struggling with, whether it be getting into your word, whether it be talking to someone, whether it be listening to praise and worship, whatever it is, help us to break those habits. Because God, we want to live a life that's pleasing for you. Because above all else, you are the most important thing to each and every one of us. And so, Lord, I thank you for each person that was brave to lift their hand today. I pray for a breakthrough in their life. I pray that you would encourage them, you would enlighten them, give them the, the wisdom to know what to do from this point to, to allow you to come into that space in their world and help them to be overcomers and victorious. And not because of our own efforts, but because of the effort you've already gone to. You've gone before us, Jesus. You've made a way. You are victorious. And so we claim victory in every circumstance in this place today, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Come on, everyone shout. Amen. Amen.
People have been loose today. Something has shifted. And I'm going to believe that when you leave this place, something's changed and you're different.